What's up? And welcome to the Very Best Self Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Brown. Tune in each week as I have candid conversations with inspiring humans, including athletes, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and anyone out there making waves. Get ready to leave your comfort zone behind, step into your power, and live a more purpose-driven life. I am so happy that you're here. Now let's do this. Hey guys, welcome back. It's me. It's Victoria Brown. Um, You guys, I, when I tell you I am excited about this episode, I am so excited about this episode. I may, it might be my favorite episode yet. It's a happy, feel good episode. Um, I have Dr. Amen on today and he is a happiness specialist, you guys. He's written over 30 books around happiness and our brain health. Um, but he's also just, I don't, the conversation was just really, really great. So I know that you're going to love it. Um, so Dr. Amen, he's helped millions of people change their brains and change their lives. He is the founder of Amen Clinics and has 10 locations across the United States. He's a 12 time, 12 time New York Times bestselling author and the ho- co-host of the Brain Warriors Way podcast, which he creates with his wife. Um, he's produced and aired over 16 national public television specials about the brain uh, that have aired more than 130,000 times across North America. Dr. Amen believes that we can end mental illness by creating a revolution in brain health. There are so many contributing factors to our overall happiness, and he has done so much research in uncovering why some of us experience sadness, why some of us experience depression, why we experience, you know, these negative thoughts that we have sometimes. And I mean, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I'm a big time advocate for journaling and meditation. And he doesn't say that those things aren't important. Of course, they're important. But There's a lot going on inside of our brains and the overall health of our brain and what we can do to improve the health of our brain that really contribute to our overall happiness. And so we're going to dive into all of that today, but there's just a lot of just just give this one a listen all the way to the end. And I am so incredibly certain that you're going to share this with someone because it is just, it's really good. It's really good. Now I'm hyping it up way too much and I hope that it lives up to all of the expectation that I just uh, set for it. But <laughs> I think you can tell that I'm excited because I truly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, so I'll stop talking about it and we'll get into it. Here we go. I am very, very honored to have Dr. Amen on today, who is the happiness guru. Dr. Amen, you have written, like, per my research on you, like 30 books around the brain health and how to be a happier human. Is that correct? I have. Uh, just means I'm old and I'm consistent. Um, well, that's really incredible. And I'm very inspired by you and all of your work on happiness. And so we talk a lot about happiness on this podcast, but specifically your newest book, um, You Happier. Um, but what I find particularly interesting about your book, it's fascinating to me um, in many, many different ways. But what I find particularly interesting is that most of the time people, when they find themselves feeling unhappy, most of the time we reach for all of these outwardly things. And we think to ourselves, okay, so, and it's not wrong to think that way, by the way, but we think to ourselves, okay, my job is bringing me unhappiness. 
And if you're a go-getter, you're going to say to yourself, okay, cool. Like I'm going to take an action step to create something change in my life and get a new job. And that will result in me feeling happier. And that makes a lot of sense. It does. Um, And it's true for a lot of people. But what I find so interesting and fascinating about your book is just your in-depth research on the brain, because sometimes it's not an outwardly change. It's what's going on on the inside that is like heavily, heavily affecting our ability to find happiness in our lives. And so I think there's some people out there who are struggling with feeling happy, um, struggling with sadness, struggling with, you know, all of these, these feelings and thinking it's always an outwardly change that fixes it. So Americans are the unhappiest they have been since the Great Depression. Wow. Pandemic, societal unrest, uh, negative news, it's impacting us. Depression tripled from February of 2020 to August of 2020. Depression doubled in children. Nothing like this has ever happened in my lifetime. And as I realized how unhappy we were, I'm like, there's a neuroscience to happiness. And it's things that the happy books aren't talking about. Um, That happiness really needs to be geared to your brain type. Not everybody's the same. And oh, by the way, if your brain's not healthy, you're not going to be happy. And so I really, you know, when I write, I'm I'm thinking, what do I really want to live with for the next year? And I'm like, I want to live with happiness. And so, you know, let me get happier and let me help the people I serve get happier too. Yeah. So it's all about our brain health. And there's so many things that go into our brain health. And I really do feel like it's something that we're not talking about, that people are not talking about, that the internet is not talking about. People are just saying, and and I'm one of those people because it's all I know, right? I don't have the immense background that you do in the education, but you know, all I know is I meditate and I journal and I I cr- try to create a morning routine that, you know, really makes me feel happy and set me up for my day. But what the people are not talking about is like the things that go into it. So <clears throat> For instance, you talk about toxins in the body that are contributing to our negative brain health. We talk about uh, head traumas that people have experienced throughout their lives. And, you know, what are these contributing factors to brain health that that isn't good, for lack of saying it better? Well, I just got out of the meeting with a bunch of firefighters, and they actually have suicide at four times the level as the general population. And you're like, well, why is that? They're heroes. It's because they've been exposed to emotional trauma, head trauma, and toxins, you know, the carbon monoxide from the fires. And if we don't look at, I think that's my unique spin on the world, we should actually look at the brain. And that's what we do at Amen Clinics. If we don't look at and optimize your brain, you're much more likely to be unhappy. And it's this big secret that nobody knows, 
But after 200,000 scans, we've done at Amen Clinics over the last 30 years, it is just crystal clear to us. If you have low frontal lobe activity, you are more likely to be unhappy. And so optimizing the physical function of your brain is foundational. Now, a lot of people think happiness is fluff. Happiness is nice, but it's not essential. And in the book, I argue in the beginning that happiness is actually a moral obligation because of how you impact other people. Just ask someone who is married to an unhappy spouse or raised by an unhappy parent um, or has an unhappy child, whether or not happiness is a moral obligation. And, and I assure you, they will say it's an ethical issue. We are contagious. And yeah. so too often, especially women, they take care of everybody but themselves, thinking that's what they should do. Right. But in fact, that's not a good prescription for them or for the people they love. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And it's our diet as well that goes into this, right? Well, food. So the book is based on these seven big ideas. Let's talk uh, about them. All of the seven neuroscience secrets of happiness nobody's talking about. And the first one is it has to be geared to your brain type. Everybody's got a different brain. And so one prescription for happiness, bungee jumping, routine, ritual, is, is not going to work for everyone. You need right. to know about your brain and what makes you uniquely happy. The second one is get your brain right and happiness will follow. So it's all about brain health. Third is supplement your brain. And we can talk about different supplements that increase your mood and happiness. I'm a huge fan of saffron. And four is only love food that loves you back. Mm. It's you're in a relationship with food. And I don't know, Victoria, if you've ever been in a bad relationship. Yep. <laughs> but but I certainly have, and I'm not doing it anymore. I'm married to my best friend, and our relationship makes me happy. Well, I'm for certain not doing it with food. I am not going to love food that hurts me. I'm not going to love food that makes me fat, depressed, and feeble-minded. Uh, broke up with sugar uh, because it's inflammatory. I broke up with simple carbs like bread and pasta, potatoes, um, because they mess with insulin. And if my insulin isn't healthy, then I'm going to be tired more often. I'm going to have more cravings. I'm not going to be happy. There's actually a study from the Mayo Clinic People had a fat-based diet, healthy fat, avocados, nuts and seeds, green leafy vegetables, um, healthy, <laughs> healthy oils, had a 42% less risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. Wow. People who had a simple carbohydrate-based diet, bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, sugar, um, fruit juice, had a 400% increased risk. Wow. 
getting Alzheimer's disease. And I can guarantee you Alzheimer's disease is not happiness. It's chronic stress and chronic unhappiness. And so food really matters. People who have um, eight servings of fruits and vegetables a day are significantly happier than those who have four. Uh, The four fruits and vegetables a day are happier than those who have two, and the two are happier than those who have none. And um, food is just so important. And and we, we don't talk about that. I yeah. don't think we're talking about it unless it's a trend, unless it's like, oh, I'm gluten-free or I'm, and some people are actually gluten-free. But what I meant by that is just society and how it became trending to be all of these things. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? I do. And for example, in the middle of the pandemic, we knew people who are overweight died more from COVID. Yep. Um, people who are diabetic died more from COVID. But the messaging from the government was all about the vaccine. And I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but it's like, where's the health message? I you know, why is it that the U.S. is 4% of the world's population and has 15% of the world's deaths from COVID? It's because we have the wrong message. You're in, I wrote a book called The Brain Warrior's Way because I just see it. We're in a war for the health of our brains. Everywhere you go, someone is trying to shove bad food down your throat that will kill you early. And we have to be armed and prepared to really win the fight of our life, which is for our brain's health. And, you know, maybe war and happiness don't go together, but ultimately the better warrior you are, the happier you and your family will be. Right. Because your moral obligation, like you talked about. And I, and that is this, it is so, so incredibly true because I'm watching my, my mother cares for my grandmother who has Alzheimer's and my grandfather has passed. He had Alzheimer's as well. And it is crazy to me because my grandfather, he retired in Orlando, Florida, and was so happy to be there. And he actually like worked in his retirement um, life at Disney. Um, and he was just so, 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 so happy. But one of the things he used to do, and my mom and I have talked about this before, is he loved the fresh squeezed orange juice when you drive by on the stands all the time. And he would drink, like once he moved down there, he drank exorbitant amounts of orange juice, which is just crazy amounts of sugar. And even though that's considered all natural sugar, we always felt like, and I don't know, you can tell if I'm right or not, but we always felt like it sort of contributed some in some way to his more quicker decline as he moved down there. And all the orange correct. juice. Yeah. No, it's actually because whenever you unwrap fructose or fruit sugar from its fiber source, it turns toxic in your body. There's a wonderful YouTube video by a friend of mine, Robert Lustig, called Sugar, the Bitter Truth. And if you watch that, you'll never drink fruit juice again. <laughs> Will it help me just get rid of, break up with sugar? Because I, I would love that. Yeah, it's a bad relationship. I did this big project at Saddleback Church called the Daniel Plan. Um, thousands of churches have done our program. But when we launched it, one of the pastor's wives told me she'd rather get Alzheimer's disease than give up sugar. 
And I looked at her. My eyes got really big. Yeah. I'm like, did you used to date the bad boys in high school? Because, like, that's a seriously abusive relationship that you're in love with. You'd rather lose your mind than give up sugar. Wow. Yeah, that's intense. <laughs> um, so in in the brain, you talk about there's a lot of photos that you have of the brain and what a healthy brain looks like and what a, an unhealthy brain looks like. Um, and I think I want to say that you describe brain matter as almost like a stick of butter. And so it can be molded in different ways. But what does a healthy brain look like versus an unhealthy brain? Well, we do a study called SPECT that looks at blood flow and activity. It looks at how the brain works. And it basically shows us three things, good activity, too little or too much. And then our job is to balance it. Your brain is soft about the consistency of soft butter, tofu, custard, somewhere between egg whites and jello. And one of the first lessons I learned from Imogene is mild traumatic brain injury ruins people's lives. And nobody knows about it because nobody looks at the brain. If you're sad, you go to your family doctor, you go to your local psychiatrist and you go, I'm sad. And they put you on an antidepressant that does not anything for brain health. So they're not even thinking. Addressing the issue. I wonder if traumatic brain injury is an issue or that concussion was an issue. And people who have concussions, undiagnosed brain injuries, are a major cause of homelessness. They're a major cause of depression, anxiety disorders, panic attacks, ADHD, addiction, and suicide. And we find at Amen Clinics that repairing brain trauma is one of the most common things we do. I actually did the big NFL study when the NFL was struggling with the truth about traumatic brain injury in football and high levels of damage. We've scanned 300 NFL players, but 80% of them get better when we put them on a rehabilitation program. How exciting is that? I mean, that's really the underlying message of my life is your brain can be better even if you've been bad to it, and I can prove it. And that's what I get excited. So I want people to care about their brains. It's a term I call brain envy. Freud was wrong. Penis envy is not the cause of anybody's problem. I've not seen it once in 40 years. It's your brain, you know, that is the largest sex organ in your body. It's your brain. And when you get your brain healthy, everything in your life is better, especially your relationships. Yeah, and I hope that that's inspiring for anyone who's listening who feels like they just uncovered something in the first, you know, 20 minutes of this episode like, "Oh my gosh, that's me. I'm struggling with that." Um that that you can turn it around and you can change it. Um, so for someone who can't get in to see you or you have clinics all over the country, but someone who can't get in right away, what's, what are things you can do um, beyond like right now today, some things that you can do to improve your overall brain health? Well, they can pre-order you happier. I'd love it if they did that. 
Yep, um, pre-order the book. That's step number one. <laughs> and and actually, if they pre-order it at youhappier.com, we have four free gifts. And I'm so excited about this. Um, they get a bottle of uh, happy saffron. So strategy saffron. three is supplement your brain. And mm-hmm. my favorite supplement for happiness is saffron. Okay. And because there are 24 randomized controlled trials showing it's as effective as antidepressants to boost your mood. Plus, rather, most antidepressants can decrease sexual function, more trouble having an orgasm, decrease libido. Saffron has been shown to enhance those things. And it's been shown to enhance memory. So a happy saffron has saffron, zinc, and curcumin. Both those, all three of those support your mood. It also, you get access to our 30-day happiness challenge. It's so cool. It's like every day for 30 days, there's like a five to seven minute video and some simple exercises. That's how you plant these ideas into your life. And it's super simple. So you learn about the seven secrets and each secret has a question with it. Like four is love food that loves you back. And the question is, when I'm going to eat this, I just had a kale, uh, a grapefruit, kale, chicken salad for lunch was amazing. And, you know, the question is, is do I love it? Yes. And does it love me back? Yes. So I'm good, right? I love food and it loves me. And this is what a, you know, mature relationship that makes me happy is about. Um, and they also get the You Happier cookbook. It's a brand new cookbook my wife created. So anyways, youhappier.com. The other things, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And so I'm always trying to make this as simple as I can. We actually have courses for uh, elementary school students and for high school students. And we just released our preschool uh, through grade one course, Brain Thrive by Five. And we have these puppets, but it's basically these three big ideas. Brain envy, got to care about it. Avoid things that hurt it. You got to know the less and do things that help it. And you just have to know the list. And so whenever you go to a decision point in your day, secret number two, um, get your brain right and your mind will follow. Um, the question is, is this good for my brain or bad for it? So whatever you do, just ask yourself that one question. There's a whole bunch of tiny habits in the book. This is the mother tiny habit. This is the most important. Takes three seconds. Good for my brain or bad for it. So people do things to help themselves feel better fast, but they don't last. And Mm -hmm. I want you to do things that help you feel better fast that do last. So you feel better now and later versus now, but definitely not later. And so, for example, marijuana, one of those common questions I get, it helps you feel better now for some people, for a lot of people actually makes them anxious and paranoid. So now and later, it's not a now and later thing. 
or nicotine is definitely not now and later or alcohol, not now and later. But meditation and yoga is a now and later thing. Uh, Diaphragmatic breathing, hypnosis, um, healthy food, those are now and later things. Exercise, in my office here, I have a sauna. I love taking a sauna bath, helps you feel better now and later. I also have a piano playing the piano, helps me feel better now, but it's also working my brain. So I feel better later. And so it's just getting the habits right. People tend to be habitual. And so even when they're dying from smoking, they still smoke, right? I mean, most people go, well, that's insane. Um, But what you allow your brain to do is what it's going to do. And um, that's why these little tiny habits are so helpful. Yes, and we can retrain our minds no one is a lost cause. You can retrain your mind. It's like, it's a pattern interrupt. It's it's asking yourself these questions. And I know to a lot of listeners out there, it feels very simple, right? To just say, oh, I need to stop in my tracks and ask myself these these important questions. But it actually does like, it actually does work. And it does help you change your relationship with some of your habits um, and rewrite your habits. So I love that idea of, is it a now and later thing? I have a question about decluttering our minds as well. Would you say, and I talk about this, I feel like a lot on the podcast, but would you say that it's important to focus on doing one task at a time versus multitasking? Well, women are much better at multitasking than girls are. So some of it depends on your sex. I mean, you know, if you have children and you're doing the laundry and trying to get dinner ready while you're working from home on Zoom, um, you know, the research has shown that multitasking really makes you less efficient. Secret number five, I love this secret so much. I mean, I love all of them, but five is master your mind and gain psychological distance from the noise in your head. Most people have no idea how to manage their mind. And I didn't have any idea before I became a psychiatrist. I was actually 28 years old, sitting in a class during my psychiatric residency when one of our professors said, you have to teach patients not to believe every stupid thing they think. And I'm like, well, no one's ever told me not to believe every stupid thing (laughs) I think. Yeah. And You know, most people live with a monkey mind that's just all over the place. And if you have an unbridled horse, it's really no use to you. If you have an unbridled mind, it will torture you. And so learning to direct your mind where you bring your attention always determines how you feel. And so I start every day with today is going to be a great day. And I knew I was going to talk to you. And that made me happy. Um, I end every day with what went well today. And so I put myself to bed and say a prayer. And then I go, what went well today? And I start from the very beginning of the day on a hunt. I'm like on this little treasure hunt for what went well. And I actually try to find the micro moments of happiness. Mm-hmm. So I love I'm looking micro moments. 
the little things that make me happy. And that's how I put myself to bed every night. And it's these little tiny habits that focus. And then when you're really stressed, write down what you're thinking. Um, I call them ants, automatic negative thoughts. And so you have to become a master ant eater um, to question the negativity that goes through your head. And we're being bombarded, uh, you know, the idea in a war that you're being bombarded with negativity because negativity sells, you know, negative, you know, the brain pays attention to fear way before it pays attention to something nice. And so, you know, if you watch the news, it's keeping you on the edge of darkness and the edge of fear purposefully because that's how they make money. They have more eyeballs. And so you have to guard against that. Right. It's like bowling. You got to put the guardrails up. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm certainly a better bowler when I put the guardrails up. So, you know, got to put the proverbial guardrails up in life as well, um, which makes a lot of sense. And I like the idea of calling these ants automatic negative thoughts because we all have them. It's crazy because our brain, it just really, really enjoys going down the worst case scenario spiral. It just loves going there before it does the best case scenario. And something that I always say uh, is that if you're going to like future trip, if you're going to go into the future, you might as well go somewhere great. Think of all of the things that could go well. Think of all the things that could work out in your favor. And, you know, I love what you said about, because I teach a a 7am soul cycle class uh, twice a week. And I say this so often that I put it on a sweatshirt and I I sold it, uh, which is today is a great day to have a great day. And so I say that to my class over and over and over again. You know, those are the early risers, the 7 a.m. riders, you know, they get up, they don't have to be there. They choose to be there. And so it's always a conversation I have like with, with them specifically. And, and, uh, and anytime I have a soul cycle class, I pretty much say it. It's kind of like a, it's in my DNA now that we do, we get the choice every single day to wake up and decide what kind of day we're going to have. And I, I believe, you know, the way that we talk about how happiness is contagious. I think there's there's a lot of things that are contagious, right? You wake up today and you decide today's a great day to have a great day. And it gives you permission to maybe decide that today is a great, you know, it's going to be a great week. And then, you know, you find yourself deciding that, you know, I'm just gonna have a great year. Okay, well, I'm gonna have a great life. And why? Because I'm willing to choose that. And it is a choice that's 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 offered to every single one of us. And it's just a matter of whether we're willing to make that choice or not. And if that if making that choice is something that's difficult for you, then potentially you're someone who really, really needs this book because maybe there's some underlying things going on that that you don't realize and and some head traumas or toxins that you're exposed to. And it's just a matter of taking control of, of our lives and our own happiness. Yeah, no, I agree with what you said. And often when people are not happy, one of the secrets is not working well for them. Um, So for example, if you grew up in an unhappy home and you were taught basically to notice what you don't like more than what you like, your relationships are not going to be great. Secret number six is notice what you like about others more than what you don't. 
because we teach other people how to treat us by what we notice. And I found that most people are incredibly powerful. And are you reinforcing behaviors you like or behaviors you don't like? I love that. Is that was that where the the story about the penguins came in? Because I remember writing that down in my notes that I wanted you to tell the story about the penguins, and I believe that's tied to noticing what you like. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I collect penguins. Uh, Actually, to have two of them behind me. When I was a child psychiatry fellow, so I'm learning to be a child psychiatrist. My son, who I adopted, was seven, and he was hard for me. He's like always sort of argumentative and oppositional, and it just wasn't any fun. And I was telling my supervisor about it, and she asked me about my own relationship with my father, and he was basically absent and negative. Uh, and, And I wanted to be the opposite of him. So when I'm trying to be present and kind, and then I'm like in this struggle, it made me really sad. And so I was telling her about this and she said, I want you to spend more time with him and don't talk very much. So she really was teaching me about active listening. And I took him to a place called Sea Life Park, which is sort of like SeaWorld uh, in San Diego or in Florida. And it's in Hawaii and they have all these cool shows. And we went to the whale show, the killer whale show, and that was fun. And then we went to the dolphin show and that was awesome. And at the end of the day, he grabbed my shirt and he said, I want to see the penguin show. And we found it and we got to the last showing of the day. And the penguin's name was Fat Freddie. He's a really cute, fat, little penguin. And Freddie comes out onto the stage. There's a high dive. He climbs uh, the ladder, goes to the end of the board, and bounces a couple of times on the board. And I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. And then he jumps in the water. And when he gets out of the water, he bowls with his nose. He counts with his flippers. He jumps through a hoop of fire. And I'm just blown away by how cool this little penguin is. And at the end of the show, the trainer asked Freddie to go get something. And Freddie went and got it. And he brought it right back. And in my mind, I went, damn, I asked this kid to get me something. And he wants to have a discussion for like 20 minutes. And then he doesn't want to do it. And I knew my son was smarter than the penguin. And so I went up to the trainer afterwards because I didn't know anything. uh, And I said, how'd you get Freddie to do all these really cool things? And she said, unlike parents, whenever Freddie does anything like what I want him to do, I notice him. I give him a hug and I give him a fish. And even though my son doesn't like raw fish, the light went on in my head that whenever he did what I wanted him to do, I didn't pay any attention to him, but Mm. when he didn't do what I wanted him to do, I gave him a ton of attention because I didn't want to raise bad children. So I was inadvertently teaching him to be troubled as a way to get my attention. So I collect penguins as a way to remind myself to notice the good things about the people in my life more than the bad things. And that it is such a helpful principle because marriages that notice that have five times more positive comments than negative ones 
dramatically less likely to end in divorce. A business team with three times more positive comments than negative ones make more money. We teach people how to treat us by what we tolerate, but we also shape people by what we notice. I mean, imagine if Freddie was having a bad day and Freddie didn't do anything the trainer wanted him to do. And she got a big stick and beat him with it. Yeah. That's not going to teach him anything except to be angry, except to be afraid. Freddie would never do anything for her. But too often as humans, when we're upset, we believe we have the right to torment and criticize other people. And I'm, I'm not okay with that. And, you know, during the pandemic, because the pandemic's been particularly hard because, you know, you're vaxxed, you're not vaxxed. There's this polarization in our society. And as a psychiatrist, I've never seen anything like it in 40 years. Right. Um, But people wouldn't even have Christmas dinner together. And, um, And I repeated this phrase over and over again to my patients. You have no influence without connection. Mm-hmm. Never lose the connection unless you want to lose influence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even simple things. My wife and I were somewhere, we were actually looking at property. And I'm thinking she is going to make the worst decision that I could imagine. <laughs> I could have said it that way. Or what I chose to do, because I'm always supervising myself, like I have goals with this woman. I want a kind, caring, loving, supportive, passionate relationship. I always want that. I don't always feel like that. Yeah. And so I got this rude thought in my head and I'm like, well, does that fit? Of course not. And so what I said is, you know, you're really good with real estate. You're really smart how do you think this is going to play five years from now? And so by noticing what I like about her, it just completely diffused the situation and helped her just get more distance from I have to have what I want, what I want when I want it, which is a Mm -hmm. four-year-old mindset. But can you imagine our relationship if I went, oh yeah, that's like a four-year-old's decision. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that probably wouldn't work out so well. Probably it's, wouldn't work out ways, so well. There's ways to say things and there are ways to say things. And women have a larger hippocampus. So that's the memory center of the brain. And so if I let those negative thoughts get out of my mouth, she's likely to remember it for a decade. Yeah, <laughs> so. we do. We do. <laughs> That's the truth. That is the absolute truth. Um, Gosh, I feel like I could literally talk to you all day. And honestly, even just having this conversation makes me feel happier, I will say. So you you really are the happiness guy. You really are. Um, You know, I I feel like there's so many other different avenues that we can go down, um, but I don't want to take too much of your time. So what is one habit, just one that you would recommend, your top tip for cultivating happiness right now in this moment? So one of my favorite ones from the book is give your mind a name is if you gain psychological distance from the chatter in your head, 
it'll help you so much. And when I learned this technique, I'm like, what would I name my mind? And I named it after my pet raccoon when I was 16. I had a pet raccoon and I loved her, but she was a troublemaker. She I can imagine. TP'd my mother's bathroom. Um, she would flush the toilet over and over again because that fascinated her and actually lowered the water pressure in the neighborhood. Um, she ate all the fish out of my sister's aquarium. She'd leave raccoon poo in my shoes. And I'm like, that's my mind. It'll just hold up signs like you're a fool or you're a failure or you'll be homeless or, you know, whatever. And if you can separate from your mind and, and I just look at Hermie, that's her name with love. And I'm like, you need to go in your cage because you are not being helpful. Then you're just better at managing your mind and it will help you so much. Right. So give, I remember reading this in the book. So give your brain a name that is separate from yourself so that when your brain is working against you, you can say, you know, so-and-so blah, blah, blah. That's not working for us. And we're going to (laughs) reroute. And you and I talked about bumper guards. Um, I have a teenager who I adopted whose parents were drug addicts. And she and I came up with this analogy. She needs a Department of Homeland Security that she needs to guard what comes in. And so in her mind, she's hired Denzel Washington from The Equalizer. She loves that movie. Um, is just one of the guards that not every thought is helpful for her and not every quote friend influence is helpful for her. And given her modeling was not great, that she needs to be better at supervising herself based on the goals she has for her life. Yeah. I mean, I was a, a visualization exercise that I, I run my, um, I have a life coaching group and I run the women who I've worked with, uh, through, which is something similar to that. It's like gatekeeping our thoughts, but also in the sense of, you know, you, you do this visualization where you, you know, you have this, you imagine the most beautiful, gorgeous, perfect, pristine Island and it's a private Island and it's yours and you can create whatever you want in your mind in this place. And then you surround yourself with all the people that you love most in in your visual, visualization you see all of their faces and you feel you know the warmth of the sun and you're just happy because all these people are here and there's a drawbridge that goes from you know your your island to the rest of the world and the only person who can operate that drawbridge is you so you are the only person who gets to decide who comes onto your island who is allowed onto your island and so you know, I have this discussion with them in terms of, you know, the people that we allow in our lives. But, you know, it also is gatekeeping our thoughts. Like we really ultimately are the people who get to control the drawbridge in our minds and understanding that you can only let you can you could choose to let in what feels good and what what feels, you know, makes you happy and and not let other people or thoughts onto your perfect, pristine island. <laughs> and that's not selfish. Too many people think yeah. that's selfish. That that is a moral obligation because it guards your happiness. And if you are not happy, that has a negative impact on everybody you care about. Yeah, it spoils the island. 
I think also we just need to redefine the way that we talk about the word selfish, because I don't think it should always be a negative connotation, right? Because we, we shouldn't necessarily say, oh, that's not selfish. I think it's just, maybe it is, but maybe it's okay to be selfish. And there's different ways to define it, I think. Right. It's, it's how you interpret it. And, you know, just the idea that happiness is a moral obligation shocks some people. Like I, I grew up Roman Catholic and my mom was very serious and I was an altar boy and, and there was a lot about it that was really good. Um, but the idea that happiness is a moral obligation was nowhere to be found. Right. There were a lot of shoulds and shaming if you didn't sort of get with the program. And, you know, in that way, it's not helpful. Um, it's what do you want? Is your behavior getting you what you want? And oh, by the way, hedonism is the enemy of happiness mm-hmm. because it ends up wearing out your pleasure centers. I've been blessed to see some just amazing superstars like Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus. I've been Miley's doctor for 11 years. That became public last year. And fame wears out the pleasure centers in your brain. So the thing a lot of people think they want, like that's a prescription for unhappiness. Because too much fame all of a sudden um, and I just listened to Will Smith's new book is, you know, he's the number one actor in the world and he's not happy yeah. because all the dopamine release, um, it's just like cocaine. You have to start chasing it right. and there's no happiness when you're chasing happiness. Wow. That's the mic drop moment right there. There's no happiness when you're chasing happiness. Um, Okay, so let me ask you one more question. Um, So what is the best piece of advice that you would give your younger self? I ask every guest this as our final question. Well, for me, it has to be you want to love and care for your brain first. Because if you love and care for your brain, everything in your life is going to be easier. And I had no clue when I was young that that's the part of me that I needed to develop. I love that. I love that. And I loved this episode. Thank you so, so much for being on. I really appreciate you. What a joy to meet you, Victoria. Thank you for all you do. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. That is a wrap. Dr. Amen. Like, what a guy. What a guy. I I especially loved the story about the penguins. I love the fact that for whatever reason, he had a pet raccoon. We didn't really dive all the way into why he had a pet raccoon. So we might need to have him back on the pod so we can really understand why he had a pet raccoon. But I digress. He had a pet raccoon. Um, And I love the idea of naming our inner, you know, it's like Beyonce who has Sasha Fierce, right? And Beyonce calls her alter ego of like when she's turning on her like, you know, diva self, she's, she turns into Sasha Fierce, right? And like that's her alter badass ego, right? So like it's no different than that, right? You're naming that alter ego of your own personal self 
but you're naming the one that's negative, the one that tries to squash all of your good ideas, the one who tries to say, no, you're not ready to do that, or you should be smaller, or you should not speak up, or you should, you know, whatever it is, the imposter syndrome, the negative thoughts, the all of that stuff that comes up for, for all of us, right? We talk about this a lot, but the understanding our thoughts and the difference between facts and feelings. So a lot of times these are feelings that are not actually factual. So giving that negative side of our brain a name. Like, I feel like for me, the first one that came to mind was Felicia. (laughs) And sorry to anyone out there named Felicia who's listening. Um, But yeah, because I'll literally be like, bye Felicia to the negative thoughts. Like, no, you can't go here. You do not go here. Um, And so that's kind of the biggest thing for me is like, yeah, I'm going to name my negative thoughts Felicia and then tell her to peace out. I hope this episode was a breath of fresh air for you. I hope that it gives you the understanding to maybe view happiness in a different lens because it certainly did that for me. And I feel inspired to make better choices uh, in terms of food as well for me. I think that was that was a big one for me out of this episode. I was just like, man, like I could make some better choices. And it's about thinking long-term, right? The now and the later choices, the things that benefit you now and that will definitely benefit you down the line as well. Uh, so I could make I could make some better choices. Uh, and anyways, I feel inspired to do so. So I think I'm going to listen to this episode a couple times through for me just because... Yeah, I wanna I wanna be in touch with all of these different tips and tricks on uh, being happier, and so I believe this episode is meant to drop on March first, which means that his book is out now. The second you're listening to this episode, you can purchase "You Happier" uh, by Dr. Amen, uh, and so I hope you will. It's uh, there's a lot of knowledge knowledgeable things in here. He's a pretty pretty smart guy, but I think you gathered that. Uh, thanks for listening today, and. Do you know someone in your life, serious question, who wants to be happier? The answer is yes. Every single one of us, we know someone in our life who wants to be happier. So my challenge to you is to share this episode with at least one person in your life that you know wants to be happier. Share this episode with someone you love. And so when that person gets to the end of this episode and they hear me challenging you to send them this episode, they are instantly going to know that you sent it because you care about them. So that's big. That's major. Um, Thanks for listening, you guys. I'm Victoria Brown. This is the Very Best Self Podcast. Please follow me on Instagram at Very Best Self. Follow me uh, at Victoria Brown. And then please leave us five stars, a glowing review if you got time for it because we love those. Um, And make sure you subscribe. Yeah, that's a wrap, guys. Have a good one. See you next week.